<laughs> Whether your Valentine's Day is a special day filled with romance and gifts, or a dreaded day spent with avoiding couples and mushy stuff like the plague, none of that matters this year because we are totally revamping the holiday with the second line show's Valentine's Day do-over. Come on now. It all unfolds February 16th at Gossip Gossip starting at 6 p.m. It's the second line show plus DJ Rockaway plus happy hour equals darn good ass Valentine's Day celebration you'll ever had in your life. See you there. Uh, it's it's not going to be Valentine's Day, but like, you know, the 16th after Valentine's. It's a Valentine's month, basically. You pop dick all month, so that's what you're going to want to do anyway. So if you want to take it from the love doctor, love doctor probably has some things to tell you. But, I mean, it's going to be like a good dick popping month and just lay it down with uh, chocolate roses, strawberries, and all of that other sort. Um, also, remember, after that, you can also have um, Steak and BJ Day, which is a month and a day after Valentine's Day. Thank you. Give them nothing, but take from them everything. And we're back. Yeah, welcome back to the Metal Hand of God podcast. I am your host, Wayne, and these two lovely gentlemen over here are going to talk sultry to you right now. Ramon. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. My name's Adam. <laughs> and I'm the rum guy. And today we have a really uh, fantastic guest today, uh, Mr. Ron Bonk. He is a writer, a director, uh, a producer. Uh, God, he's done all kind of shit. All over a pizza. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I haven't said? I've had to order pizza. You see, you see. Craft you, you. services for sure. <laughs> yeah, we definitely need we need some craft services in this in this building today. Uh, so welcome to our show, man. Thanks for coming hey, on. Thanks for having me on. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Ah, not a problem, man. Uh, I uh, was told by you that you were pushing two new films. Yes. Two uh, films that I directed. There's a few other films that I'll try to make sure I give a plug to as well. Oh, yes. Plug away. Produce, but, um, but yes, uh, I got She Kills, which is all done. It's just um, starting to hit the, the film festival circuit. I had one film festival last year that I got offered to. Um, I got a, a waiver offered to it, and I didn't realize how soon it was. But it happened, like, right away, like, right around when I was doing my cast and, um, or, yeah, cast and crew premiere. So had a little bit of showings last year, but nothing I consider official. But the first official showings are starting to come up this year. One in Vancouver, um, uh, Cine- Cinema Fantastique. I think I'm saying that right. Another one out in LA that's going to be announced soon. Uh, I'm going to do the official Syracuse premiere, doing a limited edition, um, advanced Blu-ray, DVD, VHS run to help finance my next movie, <clears throat> which is the one that I'm making now called How Shark. Nice. Uh, we shot some of that uh, back in August. Just to kind of test stuff with the camera, because I'm shooting it different than I've shot some of my other stuff. Like we're doing longer takes, trying to do that sort of Spielberg uh, thing where you you know reblock the actors and move the camera subtly and do longer takes. Yeah. Which I've you know normally I've cut the stuff up a lot, especially at a low budget level. You don't have someone watching continuity real well on set. I'm pretty <laughs> right. good after all these years of catching it, but I still miss stuff. So you know you always do a lot of coverage to help tighten up scenes if it needs it to fix mistakes you know that sort of stuff and this one you know i'm relying a little bit more on masters next chunk of shooting for that is in march um right before easter uh that's the first time we're going to have the official house shark you know monster on set nice so doing about another week there and that'll be our chance to really kind of test the monster see how things are working with it um it allows us to fix uh, any kinks you know which basically i'm trying to do since august shoot for stuff you know from that you know we see- polish that up so you guys are actually using um, practical effects then? Yeah, that's we have awesome. A whole house shark costume slash sort of you know puppet, human sized puppet that's being uh, that's fantastic constructed for it. So um, yeah, I got the first sight of it today in terms of a, a clay sculpting uh, I, you know form of it, and it's not finalized, but it was a it was cool to start seeing it you know come together in kind of three D because I've worked up different sketches. 
but I'm also relying heavily on the you know the effects artist to help me sort of complete the vision of it and make it all work. Right. You know, it's it's a it's a house shark. It's not like you know it's a regular <laughs> shark swimming in the ocean, and how, we can go. Okay, it just needs to look like a great white. <laughs> how, how did this concept come come to life? For uh, house shark? A few years ago. Um, I was wanting to do a shark movie. I always wanted to do a shark movie. Even sure. I tried to work out a script years ago. Um, but I think I had been seeing like a surge of shark movies, even in the underground, not just like Sharknado and stuff like that. But, right. And I was like, you know, I would love to do a shark movie. Got to do a shark movie. And so it was kind of coming back to the surface a little bit. Uh, no pun intended. Um, uh. And. Uh, <laughs> And so it was. It was. It was a really cold winter, and it was. Uh, we had this like week or two week long spell. It was just freezing temperatures, below freezing temperatures, and all this ice had built up on my you know, roof, and and it was cracking. It was making these loud booming noises. So I like I was like, what the heck is that? And I did some research, found out, and I kind of assumed that's what it was. I wanted to make sure like my house wasn't about to explode or something, <laughs> or fall and, down um, on top of you. <laughs> it was scary you know it was like a you hear a sound like that you're like oh my god that's gotta be bad <laughs> it wasn't really like it was like as soon as i searched for it there had been like an article literally like days before about people across you know the area hearing these sounds on their in their houses and it wasn't like you know like a tractor trailer hitting the side of it, the house you know or something oh, jesus just as ice cracking and um so I joked about it on Facebook, and for some reason, I, I, I wish I could go back and I could find the post, but <laughs> jokes started going back and forth, and at one point, me or someone joked about it being zombies up there, and I made the joke about, you know, that sounds like the title of a movie, you know, zombies on an ice roof, like a really right. bad movie, and was making jokes about, you know, just be zombies on this ice roof, and that's where they would spawn, and then I was thinking, <laughs> maybe I could do zombies in a house. Which has kind of been close to another idea I'd, I'd had years earlier with Chris Seaver. I almost had, had him make. He's a filmmaker who's made a number of flicks for me. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to do sh- zombies. What if I did a shark? This would be my perfect chance to do a shark movie. It would be House Shark. And so I thought, <laughs> oh, that's really funny. But is that like, could that work? Is that, that it's, I'm not sure, but I love it. I think there's a lot of potential there. And um, so I sent it to my producer, uh, Jonathan Strayton. I said, I have a title for my next movie. It's House Shark. And he basically busts out laughing. He's like, that's great. Let's do it. So, <laughs> so then I started thinking, okay, what what am I going to do? And it was real simple. I was like, let me, I've always wanted to do something like Jaws. Let me do something. There's been tons of movies that, that rip off or pay homage to Jaws or inspired by Jaws. Let me, mm-hmm. let me follow the Jaws template and see how I can apply it to a house. And wrote it relatively quick. I was actually going to start it a year before I did. And I had just finished She Kills, and I was—I didn't really want it to be my next project because it was, you know, a comedy horror and over the top and kind of crazy. I mean, they're different in a lot of ways, but they're still kind of cut from that same sort of comedic vein. And, right. Um, and and I didn't want to—I wanted to break it up with something more serious. I just felt like I needed to scratch that itch. But uh, I was going to do it more like um, like kids. Uh, shooting like a super eight movie in the 70s it was going to have that look to it and have that sort of style to it with the uh, jumpiness and just be cheesy effects which originally was kind of my plan you know for she kills two to do like cheesy effects which i did stick through but i was also going to make it more (laughs) pg rated um uh because my son would always especially when he was real little he'd always say dad how come you don't make a good movie and everyone laughed and say that in front of everybody (laughs) But what he meant is, yeah, I could never make a movie that he could watch. I was going to make this movie that would be safe for him to watch. And uh, But I ended up, when it came around time to start shooting it, I ended up postponing it because I just was, like, exhausted and focused on She Kills. It wasn't yet done, and uh, at least editing. And um, uh, so I was like, let me just put it off. And then between doing that, I ended up doing this um, contest called Empire State of the Dead for Scarecon where we were doing zombie-themed shorts that were set in central New York, and they were basically had to follow, like, the Romero zombie rules, you know, in terms sure. of how to kill a zombie and all that sort of stuff. And um, so we had this contest, and I picked seven winners, and then I scripted a wraparound and, you know, basically a couple standalone segments that, that were part of the wraparound, but, you know, little filler stuff. Uh, and I shot that, and though there's some humor in that stuff, it's pretty straightforward, serious stuff. Once I kind of got through that, I felt like I'd scratched that serious itch, and then I was like, okay, now it's time to to focus on House Shark again. And taking the year off, I went back to script, revisit it. It it grew a lot, and I changed how I was going to do it, where it was going to be 
like I was really trying to do a cinematic epic, you know, 35 millimeter feature monster movie inside a house, you know, with no money and, and <laughs> limited crew and cast and, all and, and budgets and everything, but still, you know, make it try to be as, as big. And, and really that's when I was like, I'll, you know, I'll do the Spielberg style. I've never really, I've always been sort of afraid to even consider doing a movie his style because it's de- deceivingly, uh, uh, it's it seems simple, it's but it's deceiving. It's, his shots are very complicated when you actually really take a look at them. And I've always sort of shot. I, I mix it up from movie to movie, but I start off kind of doing the, the Hitchcock Romero way with the you know the, like the master shot and the individual mm-hmm. tighter shots, and then the close ups when it was needed, and then it became a little more Carpenter style in terms of influence and um and then in between a mix up where i've done some stuff like it's handheld even in empire state of the dead like the first stuff i shot was very sort of more hollywood sort of style tarantino-esque i guess you'd say mm-hmm. uh and then but then all the stuff with the soldiers as part of the wraparound i shot that handheld to give it more of a, a documentary sort of kinetic sort of feel to it so i like to mix things up from project to project but then Basically, that's how how sure, how sure it came together. Nice. Um, you know, like I said, I was ready to do it again. Uh, so we pushed it. We were originally going to try to shoot it all in August, and I just realized it was too massive to try to. You know, if they came out and the shots weren't working right, you know, I was going to have to. Uh, you know, either refigure stuff on the shot on the on the spot, which I've done. We've had to do that before and, and jam it all in, or bring them back, or what if the monster didn't work? I wasn't sure. So, and I was even having trouble scheduling the guys who I wanted to be in it, who act on my other stuff. But, you know, as years go on, jobs change, stuff like that. At one point, you know, they're in between jobs, they're focused solely on acting, and they're available for three weeks at a time. And then next time you try to work with them, they've, they've got a pretty good job that pays them good. It's not maybe in the career that they want, but they don't want to mess with that schedule. So you always run into, you know, sure. situations trying to keep your regulars on board. So... I said to them, I said, hey, would it be easier if we broke this up over these three chunks? And sure enough, they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we want to do it. And it would just make them, you know, life a lot easier. And I don't have to worry about losing my job and all that stuff. So that was the plan. Originally, we were going to wrap it up in June. But um, the, uh, my producers, uh, uh, they're expecting him and his wife are expecting a baby uh, right in June or early July. So I asked if we could move it to August. So I was like, yeah, sure, as long as I get it done but in the summer so. Because I'm already ready to work on some more serious projects again, <laughs> so I just want to <laughs> sure. I want to like shoot it, get it done, get it out to everyone, and then focus on the next movie. So. Dude, I don't know how serious, you know, how more serious you can get than House Shark. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. That that I'm like super pumped to see this movie. <laughs> Well, you you know, know, when I was writing it, I was being kind of serious at points with the script. I mean, there's always a lot of humor in it, but I was worried people would think, like, you know, oh, this is, you know, this, like, I'd put in a real comedic moment, and they'd be like, ah, oh, this is too dumb. And I'd be like, but the movie's called House Shark. Would it, they can't be expecting it not to have, like, these over-the-top, insane moments where oh, you're yeah. just like, what just happened? <laughs> you know, so. well, what was what was the, the, the film that you remember in <sighs> You know, so I guess some call it indie, some call it just the the, the B movie genre or whatever. But what what movie when you were uh, coming up what, did you go? You know what? I'm going to do this someday. Um, you know, that's a good question because no one's ever asked me what necessarily was the indie movie. I guess the closest one was was Dawn of the Dead, where I where I watched nice. that and I just liked that it had it was it was a story, but also had all these underlying context to it and i I liked that style of storytelling where there was there was you could watch it and just enjoy it but then you could watch it again and pick out you know different themes different meanings deeper meaning for things yeah yeah. exactly and that really appealed to me so a lot of my projects you know will have that sort of undercurrent to them where you could rewatch them and dissect them and if you found something in it you know, I wanted to be kind of both ways. Like when you're finding stuff in it, it is stuff I put into it. But I also like when people find their own stuff in it because, you know, I like the movies to be interpreted, um, you know, by the viewers their own way. Um, sure. So, well, yeah, of course. I mean, House Shark doesn't have, you know, some of the underlying, you know, context of some of the other projects, but it's. Um, it just sounds like a fun movie, man. Yeah. You know, I just was going for. It's it's house shark again. It's not, <laughs> I'm not shooting Susan Kane, so I want to make sure that it's 
it's entertaining, dude. How shark surprise people by how I'm, I'm hoping they'll watch and be like, wow, this is really well <laughs> shot, and really well acted, and and really you know wittily, uh, the, you know, wittily is that how you say scripted, <laughs> uh, the, the, and um, there's a lot of great humor and and you know fun ideas. Like I, I love when you hear a joke and you're like, oh, why didn't I think of that first? And I'm Look, hoping there's a lot of those sort of moments but, for the yeah. one, one of the movies because I've always I always grew up I, I, I loved that genre always always loved that genre of, of film and like you said it, and it doesn't take I mean some of the movies I used to watch um, oh gosh anything from the the, the whole trauma you know oh, movie yeah. line but and then and then uh, the a lot of the full moon which had a little bit oh more yeah budget dude to them full moon but, stuff uh, is things awesome. like. Um, oh God! Uh, I don't know. There's a, there was a movie called Gator Bait. I remember that one. Which was absolutely <laughs> I remember hysterical. that movie too. Yeah, was that the Jim Van Bever Gator Bait? Uh, I think, I think, I think so. Seen it. I think so. Uh, I, it was. Uh, I remember it took place in uh, by in uh, Louisiana swamps and. <laughs> I, I remember the airboat. Uh, Man, the, the airboat was pop that cherry. Any, yes, to... and anything named Gator Bait, you know it. It, it, it took place in Louisiana. Yeah, oh, I'm yeah, thinking yeah. of Gator Green as the Jim Van. But Gator Bait, I know that title, but I don't think I've seen it. But I know what oh, you it's, mean. It's like yeah, even like some of the Jaws ripoffs, like Alligator. You know, like <laughs> was always like a favorite of mine. Um, <laughs> you know, and I kind of forgot about it until I was doing this project, and I was like, oh, let me look for you. Know, let me do. I done a uh, like a short video of talking about my favorite Jaws ripoffs, and and I was like, oh yeah, what ones do I like? And I was, oh yeah, Alligator. Alligator's such a fun. And Grizzly, Grizzly's not as humorous. You know, it doesn't have this satirical edge to it at all. Like, no, um, no. Not, like Alligator, but Alligator is a great example of just like a movie with tons of humor in it that's not real obvious humor. Yeah, right. Just real you could fun. Watch it and think, oh, this is just a serious, scary movie, and, you know, and it's not at all. <laughs> well, another thing that I noticed with 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 uh, movies and and your movies, um, you know, I always found it. I still, yeah, I'm going to date myself here. I grew up in the era where you still <laughs> went to the movie store. Mm-hmm. To get your movies, you know what I'm saying? You didn't, yep. you, you didn't rent them online. Um, but the one thing that would always draw you to the movies, it wasn't what what the movie was about. A lot of times, uh, sure that 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 played a part in, it, but you were drawn to the artwork. I, I was. Cover. Oh yeah. And, I was totally going to say that. Art, your the artwork uh, for for House Shark and and, and uh, she kills oh, and dude, and the all the of them done. The whoever's doing that is is doing an amazing job because it's, it's a really. It's like a throwback classic. It's awesome. It is, and it, it's an unappreciated talent that really adds to the the uh, the lore of the, and the draw to that that film. Uh, do do you do that yourself? Do you have do you know? Uh, no, I, I work it? with a variety of different artists, and um, I try to pick the artists who I think will work best uh, for the project. And and like one guy isn't necessarily an artist, but he's you know just he's done covers for for years he is you know he's really good with photoshop and and different programs and he can Mm -hmm. really he can make some great stuff um that looks like it was painted but uh each guy's got kind of a different style so i'd like to mix it up but it was the reason i'm able to do that today where i couldn't do it in the past is really because of the internet because you know years ago when i do the covers i was always hard pressed to find someone to do it and a lot of the early covers i would do or i had a guy work for a while and he would do it um if I had a good, uh, um, you know, designer, usually for some reason they're only doing it for a limited time, and I, I only reached out to a few artists or made contacts with a few artists, and um, it was pretty pricey, so it wasn't something I can consistently afford. But we used to always run into issues that the filmmakers would never take pictures on set; they still really don't, but, you know, like to the capacity thing or take professional stills. And we'd be trying to make artwork out of frame grabs and stuff and make it work, which was a definite like, you know, no-no in the industry. It was a huge turnoff to the retail buyers. Even if the fans would love the movie, they just were, ah, it looks like frame grabs on the cover. No, thanks. Well, it wasn't I mean, good a, a lot of good old, like, um, the, the, the grindhouse style artwork uh, on some of them. I mean, they, they really looked like... Uh, uh, you call them frame grabs. I always thought of them yeah. as uh, as uh, like Polaroids with you know sections that have been blown up. You know. Yeah, there's definitely. I mean, I'm a, I I love bad artwork. When you see one that is done, say by an artist, but it looks like you know someone who was shouldn't be drawing video covers, <laughs> and they're just horrible, horribly painted art, or even just like those cut and paste ones, mm-hmm. cut and assemble. 
and it's real obvious like where they cover. They're just using horrible pictures of of people who you know are not going to attract people to covers and stuff. That's great nowadays when you go back and you look at it and you laugh about it. It's like seeing you know bad clothes in the eighties or bad hairdos in the nineties or something. Sure, you can laugh about it. But back then, if you did it, chances are that movie bombed. You know, so a lot of titles were not selling real well. Now with the internet. I've made contact with so many different artists and new contacts and people who can who are willing to work within the budget range because you know some of these titles I can only release them and do a short run of them and keep every cost in check just to make sure I'm making some money off it to make it worthwhile make a living so it's not like you know I'm hiring artists and paying them two grand or right. or grand I forget I mean I, I originally I talked to the guy um the dude there, you know, who's done a lot of um, big covers uh, for the, especially a lot of the newer Wave Grindhouse movies. And I talked to him about doing She Kills briefly, and um, I forget what his quote was. I think it was like 600 bucks or something. And uh, he literally, like, it took forever to reach him. And then he replied, and I, and I sent him, like, one question back before we are ready to roll. And, and, and then I realized that my window was so small that I pretty much had to just say yes <laughs> on to the next one like you couldn't even ask a question or you were like you know maybe once he was hired and confirmed and been paid and was doing he could ask questions but you didn't want to ask a question you wanted to just hire him he was super high in demand that i don't know if he's still even doing covers that much his stuff is beautiful he's just been out there a lot so maybe he pulled it back because i haven't i don't think i've even seen a post lately oh, but wow. he might just be out of my news feed but then i ended up coming across tim tyler who did the she kills artwork Mm-hmm. And then he did a great job, and it fit the movie and it fit the tone I was going for, and you know it just, you know it all ended up working out. But again, I wouldn't have found Tim uh, if it wasn't for the internet, and you know Tim's pretty well known regardless. You know it's just the the wealth of info out there. It wasn't like you know I could I could see artists you know work in a comic book. I think that's beautiful, but how I track that guy down back in the you know late eighties and nineties. It was near impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of cons, I mean, uh, uh, um, you, you've gone. I, I assume you've gone to quite a few different type of conventions. Yep. Um, Not so much anymore. I only do Scarecon, but um, yeah, I used to do them. I used to do Chiller, Fangoria. I remember Marcus Square, which was Russo's company. He he tried doing a Scream Queens one. He might have done another one. Um, Cinema Wasteland. I was doing that for years. That was the last one I used to do. That was kind of outside the area. And I love that show. It was super, um, you know, it just felt like a big family there. Ken, the promoter, super nice guy. Audience was great there and stuff. But once all my national releases went out to MVD, this company, Music Video Distributors, I basically was just done with distribution. So I turned the line over to them uh, and sent them all the inventory. Once I started to, like, have them have to ship me inventory back to take it out to Cinema Wasteland, mm-hmm. it just wasn't, it wasn't worth it anymore. Um, to keep going out there wasn't worth the expense. Plus, I was doing local events, and well, with what, the weekends that Cinema Wasteland fall on, I was doing better locally. What, what so state now, are you in? Just, I'm in New York. You're in New York? Okay. Yeah. Cinema Wasteland's out in Ohio near Cleveland. It was a six-hour trip. I mean, it wasn't bad. Even around there, hotels weren't bad. Um, we'd find some like great hotels nearby. It was just a fun show to do. Usually, my producer would go with me to a number of the shows, and we'd just have an awesome time, uh, even if it was just the two of us, like, catch him because he's down in virginia for the weekend but the fans were really cool there and um uh they, they always had great guests and he's very focused on like 80s horror um mm-hmm. uh I, I think he still does that but at least back then he was it was always like you know uh, it was like an 80s horror specific show but scarecon's an awesome time it's only like 45 minutes from me it's at the casino uh, i run the film festival section there so that's why i go to it oh, cool. but i set up a table same time with some merchandise uh, you know, by doing these limited releases, I do I do the distribution on limited releases myself, which are like the hundred, two hundred. Uh, we did a six hundred sixty six unit killing spree, but you know they range <laughs> between a hundred and two hundred. And uh, you know those we we can fulfill from here because you know it's just a small amount of stock and it's a small amount of shipments and they're out the door. It's direct to retail, it's nice, but then the bigger stuff that's going out to the to the retail stores and even on the international level um both for units sold and say like you know territory rights deals i let mvd handle that oh, and, and it's up and down they do they're really super honest company i like working with them but they have a lot of product so it's hard to um stay visible in their catalog you pretty much have that first month mm-hmm. if it you know if it catches on then there'll be resales 
that are pretty strong, you know, like two, three months later, and they'll stay consistent. If the title doesn't catch on, it's never, it's just never going to with them. So yeah. it's, a, it's very much a feast and famine well, I, with them. And, well, your, your, your titles do grab. I mean, yeah, they do. I, well, I, the limited edition I've been doing, I've definitely really tried to make the artwork super, super, uh, um, you know, just really kind of jumps out to you. So sure. I'm hoping people would pick it up and put them on their shelves or show it off because that was part of the appeal of, of the VHS sticking around and, and even resurging is, you know, people treat it like artwork. They put it on their shelves to right, show it right. off as, you know, like hanging a picture on the wall. Yeah, it's, and, it's just and like... It is. I mean, the artwork is great from those years. Yeah, it's just like yeah, with vinyl really records is. and all that other stuff too, you know, it's yeah. like all that's coming back because it's a bigger picture. I mean, I've got right. I've got so many uh, uh, so many different posters and, and film noir stuff from from the genre things like like Night of the Demons and stuff like that mm-hmm. that I've got there. You know, a lot of stuff used to get them from the video stores. I used to go in there and go, "Hey, you, you you're taking it down. Do you can I buy it? No, can I? Yeah, <laughs> constantly. Yeah. And Are you going to throw that away? Yeah, that's exactly I what I did too. I ran out of room. I was storing so many things from my childhood, you know, like all my toys that grew up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Had grabbed various props that it, eventually I stopped collecting. And I was like, yeah, I wish I had kept, you know, going in there. I wish I had picked up more of these VHS and posters. Even as I dig, though, I keep finding, like, little stuff. And I'll put it up for sale, like, on, on Facebook. And that's what I think about Facebook is, you know, you can bypass eBay a lot of times and go direct to the fans and post it in one of the groups. Sure. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, yeah. You know, like, last year I think I found a flyer for um, Lunch Me. <laughs> Which is a you know a hot VHS title you know if, yeah. you can, if you can find and pick it up but the flyer and seen around and put it on there a bunch of people um, got excited the problem was I didn't know how much it was worth and no one seemed to want to tell me so I put it I ended up putting that one on eBay to auction but mm-hmm. in, in most cases I'll figure out what I want for it and I'll put it on Facebook and be like hey does anyone want this for twenty bucks like we had some Truth or Dare flyers um, you know back from when we had done the uh, the VHS. Uh, release for that that mm-hmm. we're still but it was from the original vhs release but you know tim had extra sent me so we sent them off to distributors and stuff and cool. found i still had some kicking around and um it's same with killing spree posters it wasn't a full size one sheet maybe it was like a half size of a one sheet you know we yeah. find some of them still kick around and they like, hey, does anyone want these and people be like oh yeah man i love these thing with posters is they're harder to display with the vhs boxes you, you can get a lot more up sure and you can sure. even rotate them you, know, you can put them in like you know, straight in, we just see the spines, and then every so often rotate one out and stuff. And but I've really been enjoying doing the Blu-rays because um, the Blu-rays you can really fill them content-wise. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not as they're not as you know visually appealing. You know, like on a shelf. But it's cool to take some old shot and video movie that's always looked like real shitty and make it look a little less shitty. You know? yeah. <laughs> but, but it really will be an improvement. Like some people really will scoff over like. Uh, why are you putting a shot on video movie and Blu-ray doesn't make any sense. It's not going to look any better. I see a difference between the DVDs. Like the text is sharper. You get less of that artifacting like you'll sometimes get with like on a DVD where it's compressed. Right. You know, the VHS obviously grainier. When we're going back to the original masters or the very best master they have and recapturing that and coding it for Blu-ray, it looks the best. It's like they're literally getting a chance to look at the original master uh, tape in many cases, and they don't realize how much it goes down in a generation, like from VHS to VHS, and how much the colors start to bleed, or even when they're compressed for a DVD. You know how well, much uh, different. They I mean, that, that's like anything when you when you take something and you mass produce it over and over and over and over again. If you take yeah. in one copy, and I'm taking this copy and I'm going to dub it for you or for Justin or Adam, and those copies are going to look less, you know, than the one I have. And mine oh, yeah, is not definitely. an original either, you know? Adam, yeah, I mean, I would... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Well, I was just going to say that, like, for instance, on my first movie when I made that, you know, I created a... Uh, I was basically editing uh, from camera to a deck, and I made my original master. Well, I'd be afraid something would happen to that master because it took... It would take me literally, like, six months to make it the first time, and then I would redo it. So it would take a year to a year and a half to make the, the final master of the movie... So then that thing was like a piece of gold. You didn't want anything to happen to that. So <laughs> right. then I would make like four masters off of that. And then so you're not even getting my first VHS copies from that. And even though even then I would make like a master off of that, sometimes I would film look it after that. So then there'd be another master. But even if I didn't, 
chances are that those first two to four masters I'd make, I'd make masters off of that that I was using for <laughs> replicating. Because then if something happened those two to four, I didn't want to ever have to touch that first tape again. Yeah. Unless everything else had burned out. So basically these four sub-tapes were the masters. So you're not even getting that point. But when I work with someone like Mark Polonia, he'll send me his main master, you know, wow. or wow. at worst one generation away. And then I could capture from that and make it look as good as possible. Now, like with Garotica and Gorehor, Hugh, um, I don't know what happened to his very original masters because I was trying to get them off him. Um, but he basically was sending me his best dub masters that he still had, which were basically the first ones made off it. And in the case of, I think, Garotica, I think we were one level higher. It was just a little bit sharper. But that was the one uh, specific a lot of people had said to me, like, wow, I can't believe how good Garotico looks. I can't. I've mm. never seen it look this good. And then they watched Gorhor, which looked at, you know, because Gorhor, I don't know if he had white balance issues, because as I, as I looked at that master, there's a lot of purple in it, a lot of bad you know, skin tones and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to sit there. I didn't have the time to sit there and isolate, but I don't, I really try not to change any of that sort of stuff. Same with Bad Magic. It had a lot of purples, like the, like the white balance was off when they were shooting it a lot. And then it would have a scene that looked perfect, you know, so I knew it wasn't like the master. But anyways, uh, they'd go and watch Gore Horror, and they, it wouldn't look as sharp as Garotica, and they'd be more impressed. But if they actually compare it on the, t- on the Blu-ray, because there's, a, there's, a, um, there's an extra that shows uh, that this Tony Masello he did about, um, about each of the movies, kind of like a, like a behind-the-scenes sort of thing. Um, he, he cut in footage from his VHS copies, and you can see how his VHS looks compared to how the master movie on there looked, it's a huge difference. Like when you look at Gorhor and Garotica, the footage he cut into his behind the scenes, there's almost like no color in those shots from those VHS copies that he has. They're just super flat, really grainy, almost black and white. The color is just so, it's just so desaturated. And then you turn around and you look at the copies of the movies on the Blu-rays, you're like, it really shows the difference right there. So. And I was even struggling with Live Feed, which had a better master. They'd sent me a digital master, and that movie was shot, I think, early 2000. So it's a, it's not HD, but it's not. It's better than you know, like Gore Gratica, the Polonia movies. Those were VHS. That's VHS. You know, uh, he was probably shooting. I don't know what he shot on, but he mastered at least a, D, a DV cam, and I believe he's been shooting at least on Beta cam. Mm. But I, they had sent me original digital master, and um, I was seeing too much artifact, and I wasn't happy. With it, so I had him send me the uh, the DV cam masters um, for each version of the movie, and um, we uh, basically he sent me one that was letterbox and one that was full frame. I used the full frame because the letterbox was just basically taking you know some of the video away, but that's how you know when if you made that movie and released it you know back in the early twenty uh, first century it would look like full screen or look like professional letterboxing. Now you play that on like an H D T V it looks like you got an extra box around the movie. So <laughs> use the full frame and he sent me the original H D raw footage for the unrated um well, basically both unrated, but the triple X uh, footage that he had into the ultimate unrated edition. Wow! And I cut that in real quick and made the masters from that. But I literally made like 40, 40 plus copies of that Blu-ray. I'd make the disc image, and then I would test it, um, and I would keep remaking it, and I would try different settings until I finally got it to a point that I was like, "This is the best I can make it look." Because I was trying to make it look as close to that DV cam master as possible. Right. And it ended up being the two files of the movies ended up being so big, uh, and the main focus was the ultimate, you know, uncut edition. So that was the one that had looked the best. Uh, but I made sure the unrated, regular unrated, looked really good. But they they used so much room up on the disc. The 25 gigs were basically maxed out, and with DVRs you can't do more than 25 gigs. Then I'm making it a double disc set, set just to throw the extras on there. But I didn't put them on regular DVD because they were actually super. They looked like they were shot on regular VHS and they were super grainy, and there wasn't really much I could do for them. They were just digital masters. It wasn't like he had original master. But I mean, that's just making that movie go out and look the you know very best it's ever looked to an audience. You know, I want people to look back on these tapes. It sort of creates a legacy. You know, there are the Blu-rays. They'll be like, hey, watch the Blu-ray of a. Uh, you know, live feed or, or or Polonia's death reel or whatever, and it was just like, wow, you know, these movies never looked this good, and or I never got to see like in case of death reel, like it was never released. It was their early Super 8 footage. Mm-hmm. Mark tagged all together, shot an anthology for you know wraparound anthology 
took these shorts that had never been seen by the public. And people like to see it because they're like, hey, I'm a Polonius fan, and um, I like to see everything that they did. And now I can kind of see their roots. Like, this is the very earliest stuff they shot and see how they started out, see what inspired them, see what sort of movies they're making right out of the gate. Like, in many ways, the early stuff is better to me than their later stuff. And I'm not putting on down their later stuff, but it's I like it more because you see how much heart they put into it and how creative they were with the vision. It's very impressive, some of the shots and stuff they'd come up with. And someone even commented today, I think one of my posts about how uh, it was on the Rock rock Shock Pop forum, um, but I didn't see it till today. Post a few, post a while ago. But he had said how uh, he he'd see the influence in the early shorts and some of the features they made later. And this one feature they kept trying to make called Halloween Night that they kept trying to make in different forms and it would fail. But you'd see little touches of this Halloween Night movie in different projects. And the and, and Death Reel, you see kind of the first time they tried to do it. And they actually tried to do it twice in in, in the shorts that are in Death Reel. So so that's kind of fun too, you know, to give someone something. They would never ever get released on a national level because it's just not it's not good enough. It's not going to hold up. Retailers aren't going to want it. But there's not there's a hundred fans out there, two hundred and twenty five fans. I think we did that one, who want to pick it up and say, hey, this is fun. This is cool. And this is exactly what I want. Yeah, I mean that, that that's cool because you can you can appeal even though uh, I don't I don't want to say that that the the, the group it, it's more of a, a a niche group. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Which is, and there's which more is than cool. 200 fans out there. It's just sometimes it's hard to find. I gotta believe there's gotta be at least a few thousand. Well, you know, fans. Uh, <laughs> little little we, known fact: Wayne used to be involved with uh, a lot of movies, but uh, he used to play the <laughs> piano in front of the screen. You're a fucking liar. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, it that old? <laughs> actually, actually, it was. Uh, if I do recall, Rum, it was your grandfather. <laughs> actually, it was my grandfather. I know. <laughs> but Adam, uh, you've been kind of quiet. I was going to ask you uh, uh, when it comes to these type of movies and stuff. I mean, do you, uh, I grew up with them. I mean, can you I remember have any of the ones that you grew up with? I no, I've, I've never, uh, I've never been big into horror. I didn't know you didn't like horror movies. Oh Jesus, Rum. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Ryan, it, it looks like, uh, you know, I know IMDb isn't always the most uh, accurate website, but uh, it looks like you've been pretty steady yeah. throughout your life working since, what, 1992? And uh, yeah. doing doing yeah. old, wearing a, a lot of hats here. I'm seeing everything um, from actor to, to producer. executive producer yeah. and everything in between. Yeah, there's a lot of projects that I'm listed as a producer, but in a lot of those cases... Um, it would be a situation where a filmmaker would come to me or I had a series of filmmaker, uh, films with a with a filmmaker like Stanzi and Ritter where I would uh, say, here's a title and here's an idea or synopsis. Go make this movie super cheap. And we work out a deal for them to uh, to make it. So I wasn't on set for a good chunk of those, but did help build up my resume. I did take on the project and that producer um, uh, role it was either financing it or we would sometimes cut deals where I would handle part part of the cost and they would handle the other part of the cost. So it made me build up my resume. The only uh, thing with my, um, I guess my resume there in IMDb is during that process, I wasn't directing as many movies as I like. I, I was waiting for the distributions, a lot of work, always has been a lot of work. And I kept waiting for the kind of distribution to kick in where it would be on cruise control. We'd have like a few big hits. You know, I could release the movies. They would just sell. It wasn't as much, you know, hands-on work. Uh, uh, you know, we would have, you know, two, 3,000 units easily sold of a title. You know, so everything was set. And it just wasn't happening. So during that time, I was really trying to get the company over. I took a good four or five years off from uh, directing. I might have been doing some shorts for a while. I was doing a cable access show locally, which after doing it for a few years, I was sort of like, why am I doing a show when I want to be directing movies? I'm doing a comedy show. <laughs> it was fun to do it. I was doing it with my friend. But I remember telling him, like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wasting all my time doing this. This has been fun in the past time. So, so more in recent years, right around the time when I came back with Clay, I was like, I need to do a project pretty much every year. And even though there still is gaps in there, there was stuff I was working on in between shorts, behind the scenes stuff, um, you know, whatever, uh, uh, just to get out there and be like, okay, I, I want to be a director. I didn't necessarily want to be a producer, even though I did like doing that. I definitely had never planned to be a distributor when I started doing this. I wanted to be a director. I need to make sure I'm making projects. I got too many ideas that I'll die before I shoot them all. So, well, let me so, throw one out to you real quick. I, sure, uh, I, it's an idea about <laughs> about three podcasters. Yes, 
and 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 they and we kill the drunk one <laughs> and they and they, they they're paranormal researchers and they solve all these crimes i think it's a great idea yeah. Isn't that the so, plot of a paranormal activity? No. <laughs> so were were you always uh, a self starter, or did you did you kind of have like mentors or anything like that? Uh, no, I basically self starter. I guess if that's the the word for it. The um, uh, is the filmmaker. I actually went to school for criminal justice. I went to school first for accounting and knew I didn't want to do that, so I got my associates. I uh, used that to transfer over to another college to get, um, it was Utica College, they had the first ever white collar crime um, degree, and nice. uh, so I could apply my accounting to it, and I was studying to do that, but I was actually set, uh, I was going to go into the state troopers, that was my plan, and my brother was doing film and video classes out of Monroe Community College in uh, Rochester, and uh, I was like, dang, that's that's what I wanted to do, why didn't I pursue it? Because I, I knew going to like film school like you know, in New York City or something, was just gonna be super expensive and it was nothing I could afford to do. Trust and me. I yeah, I never thought to do it say on a you know, like a community college level or something. So I went out and did a year where I took you know, school was done, but I took an extra year of school. Did the class I wanted to, so I did like film and video classes. There wasn't too many film at Merle Community College, but over at Brockport they had some. So I did like one class each semester at Brockport where I actually got the shot at shoot on film. Did some film theory classes at Monroe Community College, did the TV classes, did an English lit class, basically whatever I wanted. It was a great year of uh, school because I was doing all fun classes. Came out of that and said, okay, I'm going to be a filmmaker. And I remember I went to I went to this filmmaking seminar that John Russo was doing. It was the very first one. You can actually see me in the tapes briefly. And uh, met him there. And, and that's how I got to become good friends with him after all these years, you know, from just going to that first seminar. But uh, I remember talking to someone... I think right prior to that, maybe when I was still in, in school, saying, like, what if we shot these movies on, like, SVHS or something like that? Because these camcorders, we can afford them. To shoot on film, you're looking at, like, $100,000 minimum. It's like, I got to go out and raise $100,000 having made nothing and and not be worried about completely screwing that up. And the, <laughs> my memory of my friend was like, yeah, no, you can't shoot on video. No way, man. No one's going to want that. Well, when I went out to that seminar, Jared Bookwalter from Tempe was out there. And he was talking about how he was making a living shooting on camcorder, you know, consumer brand video. And uh, so I was like, this guy is doing it. I could do that. Uh, then I could do that. You know, I hate to say so, I hate when someone says, oh, he's doing it. I can do it. I didn't mean it that way. But I meant, okay, here's an example of someone doing it. Not only was he not doing it, but several people were doing it. So I was like, and I could write, and he was talking about making movies for, I think as cheap as $500, but his average budget seemed to be between 1500 and 3500 I was like, I could raise that doing my regular work. I was working in the antique business because that's what my family had been in. And I was like, I could, you know, save some of that money on the side and go out and make the movie and I can make it my way. And good thing I did because the first movie was horrible and it would have sucked to have done that on $100,000 and never recovered. So I could go out and kind of learn filmmaking as I went along. So that's how I learned. I learned on set. I learned watching movies. Back then, I'd read tons of film books. Nowadays, I can watch videos you know, on the internet and YouTube. But I would watch movies, see what they did, read about it in books to further understand it, and then get on set. And the problem was is I wasn't on set enough either. I still feel like I'm in film school, and I always will. I'm always going to be like I'm learning how to make a movie on each project and learning different styles and maybe one day i'll center on a style or, or it'll it'll just kind of emerge that this is my style um but uh it's it's fun to go out there and do something like a spielberg style and kind of learn by doing that by by emulating him or trying to emulate him how it you know what sort of effect it has on me as the viewer or the viewers who watch it and 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 it really helps you kind of break down like maybe what he was trying to do with this shot in terms of what emotion or whatever reaction is trying to listen out of the viewer more than say what was actually happening on screen or what was the viewers were saying or or any of that sort of stuff it, the shots can really manipulate the viewers you know so i learned that way the distribution you know i got some initial leads from jr but i was actually entering the distribution field when vhs was dying and somehow managed to ride that out and survive you know through to this day and uh uh, that was all self-taught and still is even like a few years ago, I started reassessing, you know, like, like what I had done as a distributor and realizing I try to pride myself in life and a personal level, not making the same mistakes over and over again. I find people are very circular. They tend if they make, if they do something, they tend to do it again. Right. 
so with relationships and stuff like that, and just stuff in my life, if I made a mistake, I was very conscious of not making that mistake. And well, I, when I t- took a look at my business, I was like, man, I keep making the same mistakes over and over again, which the key one was that I would pick up movies because I liked the filmmaker or because I felt sorry for the filmmaker and wanted to see them get their stuff out there. Because they would literally be like, please do. I need someone to release this. And it wasn't a very good movie, but I wanted to give them that opportunity. And then I would end up making no money on the movie or losing money. And they would make, they wouldn't make any money. Even if they were begging me and just happy to see me get it out there, good chance half of them would come back with, what, my movie didn't make any money? You're ripping me off. I mean, like, are you serious? <laughs> I was doing you a favor putting this thing out. And you and now you're mad at me because it didn't make any money? Well, it's typical. Sometimes they would surprise <laughs> me, but most times I was dead on. Like, it was not going to make money. So I just tried to break those. I tried to break those habits. I still do it a little bit. There's some people who I, you know, I just have a long relationship with, and they come to me with a project. I'm going to do what I can to get out there. But I try to focus on stuff I know that I'm really proud to have my name behind it. You know, well, like like the ones yeah. you've got coming out right now. That, right. Uh, what do you, is it? Um, like once again, it's uh, House Shark and She Kills, right? Yeah, well, those are movies I directed, and those are like my babies. So those I'm definitely the most proud of. But I'm even talking about movies that I pick up for acquisition to release. Like sure. I like Richard uh, Mogg. I'm hoping I'm saying his name right. Uh, Richard Mogg who did uh, Teenage Slumber Party Nightmare, and he did Massage Parlor Death. Well, he sent me Massage Parlor Death, and it was this ode to the shot on video movies. And I just love it. It's cheesy. It's it just definitely reminds me of movies from that era that I would get I get so many submissions, you know, back in the day for distribution that and they would all make these sort of, you know, same mistakes over and over again. And he you could tell he watched a lot of those movies and he paid nice homage to them in that. And so he sent me his next two movies, which is Teenage Slumber Party Nightmare and Banging Vengeance. And um, I enjoy those as well and put them out. And then he recently sent me Easter Bunny Bloodbath. And it's his first work, but in many ways it's his best movie. And I'm more than happy to say, hey, Easter Bunny Bloodbath from SRS Cinema in Rampong, releasing <laughs> it. You know, there's not me going like, okay, I'm just releasing it because it's going to make a bunch of money or I'm just releasing it, but I don't want anyone to know I'm associated with it. Like, I'm proud of everything on my resume. I'm never going to be like the guy who goes, yeah, I wish I didn't have my name on that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's that's good, man. I mean, that's fantastic. Um, With all your stuff and everything you got there, you have, like, for anybody out there that would be interested in finding your movies and, like, you know, buying them or you know whatever get in touch with you or anything like that is do you have any kind of website that anyone can go and yeah, do that stuff on there's srscinema.com and i would recommend that you know you go to srscinema.com sign up for our newsletter if you don't see the link it'll pop up you know there's one of those pop-up things to sign up after right. you know you're there for a little bit uh but but definitely from there get over onto the facebook page because that's where i post the most updates it's a lot easier if i just have like a brief update i'm not going to do a whole new article right on srcinema.com but i'm going to put it on the the facebook page and then from there you'd probably end up finding me um or S, uh, or she kills you know the she kills page because i'll post you know re- uh, links to it so is that is that your personal fan page or is it sr cinema it's it is SRS Cinema and it's the company. Okay. I don't have a per, I have my own Facebook page, but I've never set up say a Ron Bonk page, Facebook page. Okay. I don't think I'm at that level. <laughs> but the but the SRS Cinema page is definitely the, the, awesome. the page to go to for the most constant updates. But if you sign up for the newsletter, I try to keep people updated at least once a week cool. what's going on, latest productions, what's uh, what's shipping soon because. We like a lot of the limited edition Blu-rays and VHS. We actually pre-sell them, okay. you know, like oh, a, cool. up to a month or so ahead of time. It also helps me kind of zero in if the title's outselling what I had licensed. I'll license more to make sure people get it. You know things like that. So, but it but it helps us raise the funds ahead of time. You know, so then when I go to uh, um, replicate it and put the final cost into it, it's basically it's been paid for. You know, That's makes great. it makes uh, finances a little bit easier. Uh, another two projects that I'm uh, a part of, I produced a movie called Night of Something Strange, mm-hmm. which is a, kind of a sister movie, it's a sequel sorts to She Kills, but it wasn't it originally conceived you know, that way. It just kind of it kind of developed, so I don't want you to think it's like She Kills Part 2 at all. Okay. It's a completely different movie, but there's a little tie-in to, to keep the movies tied together. Oh, that's so cool. Supposed to, they were going to be made together as an anthology, like a Grindhouse-style anthology, and then oh, okay. they ended up becoming um, just too, too big of projects. But 
Jonathan Strain directed that. It's actually getting its premiere out at the Phoenix um, Film Festival. It's the horror, the international horror and sci-fi section of their film festival out there, but it's part of the Phoenix Film Fe- uh, Film Festival. So we're hopefully going to be cruising out to that in April. Good. Um, and then that's going to have some more showings. I'm going to be showing it in Syracuse, doing a Syracuse premiere. We'll be showing it at Scaricon later in the year. I'm sure he's going to have more film festivals because it's awesome. another crazy She Kills type movie. And then also Empire State of the Dead, which was the zombie movie I mentioned earlier, which I co-directed some of it, but you know, also producer on that. Um, uh, we'll probably do a Syracuse premiere in April. We'll, we'll probably do all three movies Sweet. premiere at the same time. Well, you definitely have to hit us up and let me know when these movies are all popping out because I, I would like to get a copy of them from you eventually. Oh, so sure. you know, well, Make, make sure y'all check it out, folks. What's what's that, Ron? I was saying we're, we're doing the House Shark fundraiser, which if they go to the site, they'll find that. But if they pop over, they can actually help us make House Shark by either pre-buying copies of House Shark or they can pre-buy copies of the limited edition She Kills, which I'm doing. Because She Kills, I might end up still not releasing it, but I can release a fundraiser version of it and a limited edition. Those actually start shipping in April. Okay, so fans, cool. if they want to see She Kills, they can get it in April. They might be waiting six to 12 months to, to get it again, unless I do another fundraiser. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, they could pick it up, and those I'm going to try to have shipping in April. And um, uh, but, but also, like I said, they can, if they don't mind waiting you know, uh, about a year and a half, they could also and or buy you know, some copies of House Shark and get that and help us get that movie made you know, by supporting one of those two movies. Fantastic. Well, man, look, you know, I really hope, uh, people go up there, listen to us and go out there and go buy your stuff, man, and help check push that Facebook movie. Page. Yes, yeah, definitely, definitely check go. Check out the page, pre-order the videos if you get a chance to, um, I uh, definitely want to thank you for coming on the show. It's uh, yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate you letting me ramble on for a long time. Not a <laughs> not, not a problem, problem dude. It was, not it was a very problem. Very informative, and uh, and uh, I really appreciate uh, what you do. Thank uh, you. And the knowledge yeah. he has in film, <laughs> it's unbelievable. There's a lot of history, so sometimes I have to talk really fast to get it all. <laughs> I'm one of those guys who's like, you got to go back to the very beginning of the story <laughs> to understand what I'm telling you. Because <laughs> if I tell you in the middle, I'm going to feel like I left an important detail. But no, I mean, I, I I really appreciate that chance to get on here and chat with you guys. And, no and, problem, uh, dude. Right on. I'm glad someone wants to hear the story. Hey, so. and, you, and you're more than welcome to come back on, man. You know, whenever, yeah, I'd love to. You, you guys know. have Jonathan on, too, when, uh, when it gets closer to NOS, uh, getting out there. Yeah, yeah, well. definitely. Definitely, definitely, man. Um, but yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna cut out. Uh, uh, thank you for joining us, Mister Mister Bunk. It was awesome to have yeah. you on. Uh, I was your host, Wayne Ramon, <laughs> and I'm the Rum Guy, and that was Mister Ron Bunk. And we are the Metal Hand of God Podcast. And remember, boys and girls, to keep it, keep it at all. Adieu, adieu, parting is such sweet sorrow. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. Get the fuck out. Okay, then. That's it. <laughs>